Good morning, Valley Bible Church. I am so thrilled to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us online as we've given praise to Jesus together and we've been able to give our gifts back to him and we've called out to him in prayer with our needs. And I'm so excited for several reasons this morning. One of those reasons is that this very week we're beginning our new small group season. And I I love my small group If you're in a small group, you know how that feels to be a part of a community of people that are there to support you and pray for you and love you in the name of Jesus. And if you didn't see the video, we've got it on our our website at valleybible.org. You could check out a brief conversation I had with Pastor Paul Crandall. We talked about the importance of small groups, and and it boils down to two things. Every single one of us that wants to grow in Jesus, we need the Bible and we need other believers. We need the Bible and we need other believers, and that's universal for all of us. We need those two things in our lives, along with the Spirit's work in our hearts, to grow in Christ's likeness. And so I want to invite you, check out valleybible.org forward slash groups, and you can join a group. But I'm also excited because uh, we get to introduce something new to you, a tool that we want to put in your hands called a Sermon Discussion Guide. And uh, for those of you that have already downloaded it, you already get to get a sneak peek into our big idea here this morning. But I want to invite you to go to our website and download that, and we hope that that will be a tool this week for you to take the next steps in following Jesus in response to the scriptures we're going to hear this morning. Well, I'm excited about small groups, but I'm also excited to be here to lead us in digging into the Bible together in John chapter 6. We're in the middle of a, of a series right now called Miraculous Conflict. Miraculous conflict, and I know that may sound kind of like a, a paradox or, a, or an oxymoron there, but, but that's the title of our series because as we're seeing in the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 5, 6, and 7, that Jesus is demonstrating his grace, he's demonstrating his truth, and his divine power to people through miracles, which were, according to John, he calls them signs. They were supposed to be these signs that pointed people to Jesus and pointed, uh, pointed them to Jesus and to identify who he is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised anointed one sent from God, and that he's the son of God, and that by believing in him, we can have eternal life. However, running parallel with those miraculous signs was also this this conflict. Jesus would do a miracle to point people to who he was, and people often would either uh, reject him and want to kill him, or some of them wanted to take him and place him as their king, their political ruler, to overthrow Rome. And so we have this conflict, this miraculous conflict. And and last Sunday, Pastor Paul showed us uh, that these two themes run together in John chapter 6. And we saw that Jesus fed thousands of people. I mean, it was really quite a work. I mean, he spreads out a buffet for an entire group of thousands of people there on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. But instead of embracing and, and bowing to King Jesus like you'd hope that these people would do and, and that Jesus would want them to, uh, instead of bowing to King Jesus in repentance and trust, the people wanted to start a political revolution. They wanted to place Jesus as, as the head over their government to overthrow the Romans. You see, what, they, what they wanted was is they wanted Jesus to meet their desires for political freedom. But we learned last week, that Jesus is not our political candidate. He's our king. Jesus deserves our full attention and our full devotion. And because of that, we follow his agenda. He doesn't follow our agenda. And this truth can be really difficult sometimes, can't it? 
I mean, if we're following King Jesus and, and he's the one that sets the agenda, sometimes that's a difficult pill to swallow. Sometimes Jesus' agenda for us takes us to a direction that we really don't feel like going. We experience this every time we get into a difficult situation. Every time we experience a trial. When our circumstances go bad or when we feel tempted to wonder what in the world is going on. Why am I going through so much heartache, so much pain, so many trials right now? It may feel like we're in the thick fog of chaos and there's no end in sight. We can't see a clear clearing anywhere and it's difficult to navigate through. And if you're like me, and I'm venturing that some of you at least are, if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through so much heartache? Why am I going through so much chaos? Jesus, you're my king. You set the agenda. But why is this life so difficult right now? Why so much conflict? What good, Lord, can come out of this? And our prayers often turn to please and cries for the Lord to deliver us out of the chaos. And this is the tension that we're going to be thinking about this morning. If, if Jesus is our king and he's leading us, why does he lead us into the chaos in the first place? Why doesn't he lead us, as that good shepherd in Psalm 23 says, to green pastures and quiet waters? I love that journey. Psalm 23 goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait, what? Don't lead me there, Lord. Why would Jesus allow us to get sick? Why would he allow those we love to, to die? Why would he allow us to lose our jobs or lose our homes or lose our possessions why would, why would King Jesus lead us down a path into the chaos of feeling the heartache of our broken relationships, broken marriages, heartaches of seeing children walk away from the faith or hurt us or, or loved ones hurt us deeply? Why do we feel the pressures of this life, financial pressures, social pressures, political pressures, the pressures seem to be all around us, especially in 2020, Amen. What good purpose does King Jesus have for the chaos in our lives? And that brings us to our big idea this morning. As Pastor Paul says, if there's anything you're going to tweet out this morning, I don't know if any of you are on Twitter, if there's anything you want to write down today, and for those of you that have that sermon study guide, you've got it right there in front of you. Our big idea this morning is this. Sometimes we need chaos to see Jesus more clearly. Sometimes we need chaos to see Jesus more clearly. We'll see that in our passage this morning. That God doesn't enjoy watching us go through the pain of the chaos of our lives. He, he doesn't enjoy that. Rather, he has a greater and more glorious agenda for us in our chaos than he does in our comfort. And what God wants for us more than anything in this world is to see the magnificence the glory, and the beauty of Jesus on full display. Now, Jesus' closest friends, as we're going to see this morning, they needed a clearer vision, a clearer sight of Jesus, and so do we. So we're going to be taking a look of John chapter 6, verses 16 to 21, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, or in your, on your devices, and 
follow along as we read. But before we do, I'd like to start out with a word of prayer as we open the scriptures together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've given us voices to sing praises to Jesus. You've given us rich words to sing. You've given us great musicians to lead us this morning. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for this AV team that's here to help us be able to stream this out. But Father, many of us are feeling chaos today. Many of us feel like we don't have the answers to our questions as to what are you doing, Lord, in the midst of this chaos? I pray that just as the disciples did, that we would see Jesus more clearly. Open our eyes now as we open the scriptures so that we would see the beauty and the magnificence of King Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. John chapter 6, verse 16. And, and before we get there, I just want to remind you, we, we stopped the story last week with, with Jesus finishing, feeding all of all these people, thousands of people, the disciples pick up the leftovers. I mean, they have more leftovers than they started out with. They put it into baskets, and then the people just want to take Jesus and make him their king. And, and Jesus recognizes that they've got some ill purposes in mind purposes that were outside his agenda and the agenda that his heavenly father had given to him. So he withdrew and he, he got away from the crowds and he got to a solitary place. And, and we know from the parallel passage in the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, 46, that Jesus went there to pray. And that sets the tone for our story now here this morning. Follow along as I read aloud John chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. It says this, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, we're going to move on in the text here in just a few minutes, but what I want to do is help us see the setting that John is trying to give to us. It, it says there in verses 16 and 17 that the disciples got into a boat to cross back to their hometown of Capernaum. Now, this could just be a narrative to help us understand how did they get from one side of the sea to the other, but there's something much more deep that John wants us to see from that. This trip that they were taking across the sea was approximately five or six miles to the other side. And, and some of these men, specifically Peter and his brother Andrew, and then the other two brothers, James and John, they were experienced fishermen, and most likely they knew the Sea of Galilee very well. And for them to go out and set off as it's getting dark probably was no big deal for them because anybody who's a fisherman knows that you fish in the early morning and in the evening when the fish come up to the surface to get that bite and get that nibble of food. So it's probably not too out of the ordinary that these guys set off for this trip at this time. But, but John goes on to set the scene a little bit more. The second part of verse 17 and in verse 18 it says, It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Jesus stayed on the mountain, and, and we know from Matthew and Mark that Jesus actually sent them off on this boat, and they go out on this trip. But notice the setting. It's dark, and Jesus is not with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not too thrilled about going into places where it's dark, and there's no Jesus. But it goes on to say, not only that, but it says that the sea became rough. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee, and really it's a freshwater lake, but they called it the sea. The Sea of Galilee is below sea level, I think around 600 feet below sea level. And what happens because of this, this change in elevation is that the, the wind and the weather can shift very abruptly. 
And so this wind could come down from the plateau and whip down in there into the, into the valley and into the lake. And so much so that even those today, modern day, if they've got a motorboat and they know that a storm's coming, they won't even go out there with a motorboat. But these guys, all they've got is a little sailboat, probably about 25 feet long, and they've got some oars and a sail and they're trying to cross the lake. Now, these men wouldn't be foolish enough if they see a storm coming to go out into the storm. In fact, they probably pulled out their smartphones and checked the weather app, and there was no indication that there was a storm coming. But little did they know, once they get out there on that lake, that something was going to happen. Chaos was coming. And we know from Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, that these men were rowing and rowing, but because the wind was so strong and the waves are crashing up against them, Jesus could actually see that they were unsuccessful in getting across this lake. Working, working really, really hard. Now you can't miss the setup here from John the Evangelist, this gospel writer. The disciples knew they were in trouble and that the conditions were working against them. There was darkness there was wind, there were waves, and most importantly, John points this out, Jesus had not yet come to them. That's the biggest factor. No Jesus. No Jesus. And they had seen Jesus do an amazing work just hours before this moment of chaos and crisis on the sea. Just hours before, they were on the shore and they saw Jesus take a, a few loaves of bread and fish and, and spread it out to thousands of people. And I'm sure they were thinking to themselves, boy, it sure would be nice to have Jesus here with us right now. We need his power to be with, with us. But now they were on the sea and Jesus was nowhere in sight. You could almost hear them shouting to one another in, in concern and holding on to whatever they could and maybe even holding on to one another. You know, one of those embarrassing moments where guys are just clinging tightly to each other in the boat so they wouldn't get tossed out of the water. They were in the middle of chaos on the Sea of Galilee. Now, let, let's just pause the story for, for just a moment. Pause the story. Here they are, no Jesus, darkness, wind, and waves, and, and they're out there in the middle of this lake. And I'm sure one of them, maybe more of them, perhaps asked this question of themselves. Maybe even they maybe perhaps they even said it out loud. Why did Jesus send us out into this storm? Why in the world did he tell us to go get in this boat and send us away without coming along with us? I mean, he's got power. Didn't he know that this storm was coming? Didn't he know that, that even though we're, we're very skilled and experienced of being on this lake, that this is still more than we can handle? This is above our pay grade. We're not going to get out of this situation alive, maybe? Why in the world would Jesus lead us and tell us to come out here? I think it's a similar question that we often ask ourselves. In the middle of the chaos, we want to know, King Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Why are you leading me out here into this situation? If you knew this was going to happen, if, if you knew that this spouse was going to betray me, why did you ever lead me into this relationship in the first place? If you knew I was going to get sick 
Why didn't you give me a cure sooner? If I knew my child was going to break my heart like this, why didn't you give me a warning so that I could have prevented this from happening? Lord, (laughs) if we knew that 2020 was coming, why didn't you give us a sign to get ready? Why would you send us into the chaos, King Jesus? This is the setting that we find the disciples in. Out in the middle of this lake, darkness, wind, waves, storms, and most importantly, no Jesus. The chaos. But that's not the end of the story. We see something happen, actually something really dramatic happen, Right here in verse 19. Let's take a look at it. John chapter 6, verse 19. Now, when they had rowed about three or four miles, so about halfway across, they're right in the middle of this lake, (coughs) excuse me, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Here they are out in the middle of this lake, and now they see someone walking on the water. Now, John tells us that it's Jesus walking on the water, but we know from Mark 6, 48, that these guys that are seeing this, they thought it was a phantom. They thought what they were seeing was a ghost. Now, imagine the chaos going from level eight to level 11. I mean, you can imagine these guys are now terrified and freaking out. They probably don't even notice the wind and the waves and the darkness. They're saying, my goodness, Who are we seeing or what are we seeing? What is this creature that's out there? It sounds like the perfect setup for some sort of horror film or or some kind of a nightmare. What is this that's happening out there? Could you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine the terror, the fear, the fright? Out there on this boat... Maybe they thought it was some sort of spirit of a, of a sailor who had died at sea coming back to haunt them. I don't know, but we know that they were terrified. It's not every day that you see somebody walking on the water, amen? But here we see something happen. In the middle of the chaos that's just been ramped up so much, we hear a voice in verse 20. It goes on to say this, but he, being Jesus, Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. In the middle of the chaos, they hear a voice. It is I, don't be afraid. To paraphrase, it's it's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, guys, it's okay. It's me. It's Jesus. You don't need to be scared. You know me. I'm here. I've come to you in the middle of the chaos. What a sweet voice. In the middle of the chaos, they're they're frightened. The darkness, the waves, the wind, they hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, hey guys, it's me. You don't need to be afraid. Well, what happens? Verse 21, it says, they were glad or they were willing. They said, please come on into this boat, Jesus. They were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, this some believe this could be a second miracle now that once Jesus gets in the boat, boom, they just are there 
Uh, I think perhaps Mark says that the winds died down and then they were able to, to get across. Either way, Jesus gets in the boat and the chaos just disappears. Jesus is in the boat. Now this miraculous sign, walking on the water, is, it's the only one in the Gospel of John that, re, that, that John records that was done exclusively for his disciples. Other than Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, we have seven miracles or seven signs, as John puts it, that, that Jesus did so that his disciples and, and the people could see who he was and that they would believe and have life in his name. But this one, just this miracle in the book of John, it's the only one that was done specifically for the disciples. We've seen Jesus turn water to wine. We've seen him heal a man who was sick. We've seen him, uh, just last week, we saw him spread food to thousands of people with just a little bit starting out with. But this was something that was just for his own. This was done specially for his men. This sign was personally for the disciples. And by extension, it's personally for us. And it was done in order for them to get a picture that in the middle of the chaos, Jesus was there for them. Now, there was conflict back on the shore. Remember what we're talking about. Jesus is doing miracles and people are accepting, but mostly are rejecting Jesus or they're only accepting him because they want him to fulfill the desires that they have rather than letting Jesus set the agenda. So there's all kinds of chaos. There's all kinds of division, all kinds of controversy surrounding Jesus. And Jesus wants to take some time to say, guys, I'm gonna let you see some chaos so that you could rise above the conflict and see me more clearly. It's an amazing story when you think about it. The disciples had to be put out on that boat. They had to be put in the middle of this storm that they were never expecting. They had to be there without Jesus. And then they had to be terrified for just a few moments before they heard that voice so that they would see Jesus more clearly. This is amazing. It's a personal miracle done just for the disciples in the middle of all this miraculous conflict. So what are we to take from this? What did these disciples need to see so clearly about Jesus in the midst of this chaos? What did they see and what did they hear? Well, first of all, the disciples saw the one, Jesus, who is the I Am. The disciples saw with their eyes the one who is the I am. Verse 20, when Jesus appears to the disciples and he, and he lets out that voice, he says, hey guys, it's me, don't be afraid. The, the phrase that he uses there in, in the Greek is ego eimi, ego eimi, which literally means I am. Now, this, is, this phrase isn't, too spectacular, really. It's a common way for anyone at that time to identify themselves. We, we would say, hey, calm down. It's just me. However, however, this, this phrase in other contexts has much, much bigger implications. And I believe that John the Evangelist is not just writing these words so that we could see that Jesus is saying, hey guys, it's me. No, G John has clearly stated that the purpose of his gospel is not just to give a biography of the life of Jesus. 
No, no, no. John has a very theological purpose. He wants to teach us things about God and about God the Son who's Jesus Christ. You see, John is writing with eternity in mind. He's crafting his book so that when his readers, uh, so that his readers would understand the significance of the words and actions of Jesus. So when Jesus, uh, so excuse me, when John writes that Jesus says, I am, it's me, ego me," he has a much fuller understanding and intention of what Jesus was saying in that moment to his disciples, even in that moment if his disciples didn't fully realize it. John has a purpose in showing that Jesus is saying, I am. And maybe the rest of us say, oh yeah, it's me, I am. But when Jesus says it, oh for John, it has great, great significance. You see, this is the first introduction for John uh, in this gospel to show us Jesus saying, ego me, I am. John will give us eight different statements from Jesus when he identifies himself as I am. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. We're gonna see that soon in our series. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine. Friends, I believe that what John is getting at here in in our verse, when Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid, he's saying, I am, do not be afraid. John wants to introduce this vital theme to us in this verse so that we would see who Jesus really is. He is the I am. Well, what's significance about, significant about that title, the I am? You see, I am is God's name. It's the Lord. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. And some of your Bible translations might have the Lord in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, Genesis through Malachi, and it's written the Lord with all capitals. That's the special name of God, Yohevavhev. In Hebrew, it's the Lord, I am. You see, in Exodus 3, God's people Israel were in the middle of their own chaos as slaves in Egypt. Moses, who was a fugitive of the law, herding sheep out of the wilderness, out in the wilderness of Sinai, he encountered God appearing to him in a burning bush. And in that conversation with Moses, God revealed his plan to rescue Israel from slavery, and he commissioned Moses right there. And Moses was afraid of taking this mission, but he commissioned Moses to be his messenger and to lead the people of Israel. Now, Moses was anticipating that the people of Israel would ask Moses the name of this God who had appeared to him and sent him. And he asked the Lord, he said, well, who, what's your name so that when I go back to my kinsmen, I can tell them who it is that sent me. And this is what it says in Exodus 3, verses 13 to 16. Then Moses said to God, 
If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Exodus 3.14 says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This title, the I Am, is so foundational for the people of Israel. This is God identifying himself, and theologians have tried to think through, and Bible scholars have tried to think through, what is it that God is saying when he says, I am who I am? We just know that that God is. He has no beginning, and he has no end. But this was the special name that God had given to his people to reveal himself to them as powerful and as their deliverer and their redeemer and savior, but also so that they could know him personally. When we want to get to know someone personally, we have to know their name. God gives Moses his name, the Lord, the I Am. And we see from the rest of the Old Testament that this this I am, the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the only one that can walk on the water. And he's the only one that has control over the waves and the wind. Later on, after God does do the work through Moses to deliver his people out of the chaos of slavery in Egypt, and they, he delivers them through the Red Sea. Certainly, you've seen it in Hollywood, haven't you? In the movies, the children of Israel, they walk through the waters. God, the Lord, the I Am, puts the waves on either side. The people walk on dry ground, and then Pharaoh's army, the Egyptians, are just wiped out at the children of Israel get out, and God defeats the Egyptians for his people Israel. And they sing a song of praise. You are the I Am, and you have control, Lord, over the seas and over the waves. Job also says something similar. I love this in Job chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. Job was a man who was experiencing great personal chaos in his life, but yet he knew something very true about God. This is what it says in Job chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. Speaking of God, he says, He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, This God, this I am who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and who alone trampled the waves of the sea. There's only one, Job says, alone that can trample on the waves of the sea and that's the I am. That's the God, the creator of heaven and earth. There's many other places we could go. I'll go to one more. Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107. 
It's, it's giving thanks to the Lord for his great love to redeem his people Israel. The I am is a great redeemer. And, and the psalmist goes on to write different descriptions of, of the kinds of conditions that he finds people in when he goes to redeem them. He says, give thanks to the Lord, verse 1, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, Lord, how did you redeem your people? Verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, and he redeemed them. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways, and he redeemed them. Now listen to Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea, They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil and their plight. Sounds a lot like the chaos of our disciples, right? Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord, to the I am, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. You see, it's clear, friends, that this special title, I Am, is reserved for God alone, and that the I Am, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is the only one who could walk on the water. He's the only one that has control over the wind and the waves and the storm. So back in John chapter 6 and verse 20, when he records that Jesus says, I am, don't be afraid, he gets into the boat and the storm stops, the chaos is gone, and he had just walked on the water. John is showing us that Jesus is the I am. John wants us to get the picture that the disciples would vividly see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears. And here's the message. Jesus has the power of God because Jesus is God. Jesus is the I am. This is what they needed to see in the chaos. They had to be brought out there in the middle of this wind and waves and storm so that they could see that Jesus could do what only the I am could do. They got a glimpse of divine power. What an amazing scene. I I can't imagine what the reaction must have been. They must have been absolutely astonished at what they had just seen. But they had to get out into the chaos to see more clearly that Jesus is the I am. Well, not only did Jesus say, I am, he said, don't be afraid. They saw with their eyes that Jesus is the I am, but then they heard the only voice that could relieve their fears. What a moment. Right there in the middle of the chaos, they heard the voice of comfort. I tried to think about what would this be comparable to for those of us that are, that are parents or 
our grandparents. We, we know when we hear that, that little voice of our child in the middle of the night and they've had a nightmare or, or something's gone wrong and they cry out and maybe they're still asleep and they still feel in the middle of the chaos of their own mind and whatever that could be. Maybe it's a monster on, under the bed or a monster in the closet or something going on in their own dreams and they're crying out and you go to them and you go into their room and you sit down gently and you just gently touch their hand or their arm or maybe their forehead and say, it's okay, it's me, you don't need to be afraid. And you could see that after a few seconds when that child awakens and they see that you as a parent are there, you could see the fear turn into relief and then turn into comfort. That's the kind of tender care that Jesus is giving to his disciples. I'm here, I am, and you don't need to be afraid. It's as if Jesus is saying, it's okay, it's me, I'm here, you're safe, you could rest, I've got you, right in the middle of the chaos. This is, this is an amazing truth about Jesus, friends. Jesus is as mighty as a lion, and yet he's also as meek as a lamb. He can calm the storm with his mighty power. He can calm the storm of our hearts with his tender voice. The disciples had to be out in the middle of the chaos so they could see this lion and this lamb, this one who has great power, and this one who could calm the storm that was going on in their hearts. That's who this Jesus is. The disciples needed to be put out into some chaos so that they could see Jesus more clearly. And friends, when we, we think about this passage for our own lives, we started out in this sermon, sometimes we need to see some chaos so that we could see Jesus more clearly. Sometimes King Jesus, and, and part of his agenda is to take us out there to the middle of the waves and the wind and the storm and the darkness so that we could see him show off his great power in our lives, so that we could hear his tender voice give us comfort in the chaos of our hearts. Now we could see the very personal nature of this miracle. You see, Jesus did this just for his disciples. They needed a clearer picture of Jesus in the midst of all the conflict that was surrounding them back on the shore. And Jesus allowed them to enter into the chaos of a storm so they could see his divine power and hear his tender voice. And that's the amazing thing about our trials. God doesn't waste any. Friend, hear me. God doesn't waste any of our trials. He always has a purpose, which is for our good. Sometimes God leads us into difficult circumstances so that our perception of Jesus can get larger and we can see him more clearly. It's almost as if he needs us to bring us out to the edge of the cliff so that we can see the grandness of the Grand Canyon. My wife and I were at the Grand Canyon a few years ago and, and she liked to see it from about 20 to 30 yards away from the edge. But the closer and closer you get, the more and more you could see just how grand it is. Sometimes Jesus 
leads us into the middle of the chaos so we could see him more clearly than we've ever seen him before. I've experienced that in my own life. I'm sure you've experienced it in yours as well. You see, 20 years ago, I faced two different trials in my life. Uh, one was the result of somebody else's sin that hurt me and, and cut me deeply. It hurt my family. Um, I could feel chaos in my own heart and in my own life that I had no control over. But then I also experienced another bout of chaos when, when I had done something and And I was in the chaos because of my own sin. The first situation was because of someone else's. Then it was brought on by myself. And if you've been there before, you know what it's like to be there in the long, dark night of the soul. I think back upon those days and I can remember, I almost feel like all I could do was drown my pillow with tears cry out to God to deliver me from the chaos that was happening in my life and in my heart and that those close to me were experiencing and and those close to me were experiencing even because of my own sinful decisions. Those were some painful days in the middle of that chaos. I never wish that pain on anybody. But coming out on the other side, I could tell you that I'm very, very grateful for them. You see, looking back on those moments of chaos, I could see how Jesus just absolutely blew up my perceptions about who he was. You see, I I had God and I thought I saw him as huge. I thought I saw Jesus as powerful and glorious in my life. But when he brought me to that chaos, all of a sudden, my perception of him was blown to bits. And he said, Matthew, I want you to get a bigger picture of who I am. Jesus, Jesus showed off his mighty power. Jesus spoke his tender voice into my life. And I remember in those days, through the reading of scripture, through prayer, through the fellowship of friends, and through the healing of time, he said to me, Matthew, it's me, I am. Don't be afraid. If you've gone through the chaos and you see Jesus more clearly, You'd never wish that pain on anybody and you'd never wish for yourself to have to go through it again. But if you know that you've come out on the other side seeing Jesus more clearly, you could look back on it and say, I'm so grateful for that. I saw Jesus and my life has never been the same. Jesus showed up in the middle of the chaos. Now maybe you find yourself in the middle of chaos in your life today. Maybe you feel as if you're in a storm either in your circumstances or your own heart and mind or, or maybe both. You may feel tempted to run from the chaos and that makes a little bit of sense, right? I want to get out of this chaos. You know, just this week I've had several people call me. I had one man who was feeling frustrated because of, of his job and, and COVID has just caused him to work long, long hours and he's feeling so frustrated and you could sense that he felt in chaos on the job. There's another man that I spoke with this week. He was in the emergency room because he was having heart abnormalities and he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know what the test would reveal. He was in chaos. Spoke with another couple who were seeking healing in their marriage because of the the brokenness and pain that had been happening in the history of their relationship. They were trying to get out of the chaos. 
Spoke with another, another woman recently who, who said, my, my, my husband's getting ready to leave me. What do I do? She's in the middle of chaos. What do we do in the middle of this chaos, friends? We look for Jesus. We look for the I am. We, we wait on the Lord a little bit and say, Lord, speak to me in your word. I need some comfort. We look to Jesus. We say, Lord, show me yourself in ways that I've never seen you before. Let me get a big picture of who you are. The one who could calm the storm with his power can calm our hearts with his tender voice. Friends, I believe that this drastically changes how we're to pray in the midst of the chaos. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Lord, heal me. Lord, uh, help me to find favor on the job. Lord, fix my relationships. Lord, uh, make sure that I have enough resources so that I could pay the bills. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying those prayers, but sometimes the Lord puts us in the chaos so that we cry out to him and say, Lord, show me yourself more clearly. Help me to remember how big you are. Help me to remember that you are the I am and speak comfort to my soul. Hopefully you have a prayer list. I have a prayer list that we, we as pastors and uh, we have a prayer list that we pray through every week that you provide to us and, and we pray for you. Uh, my small group is praying for one another's needs. But my challenge to us this week is as we experience the chaos and we see those around us that are going through chaos in our lives, let's take a few moments in addition to praying for healing and provision and, and for uh, healing in our relationships. Maybe first we ought to ask, Lord, in the middle of the chaos, help us see you more clearly. Help us see Jesus more clearly in the circumstance. I want to challenge you this week. Whatever your prayer list is, Whatever you pray about, whether it's in your small group or personally, ask the Lord to help you to change your circumstances. But before you do that, this week, make it a habit to say, Lord, teach me, show me more clearly your power and your compassion in my life. Help me to see you more clearly. When you feel frustrated, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like you're at your wit's end, say, Lord, help me to see you more clearly. Jesus, in the moments of our chaos, may be ready to get in the boat just when we need him the most to calm our chaos when we begin listening for his voice in the middle of our circumstances. And one final thing, I, I just want to address those that, that may be joining us here online and maybe you've, this is the first time you've, you've been in church with us or maybe it's the first time you've been in church for a really, really long time, but maybe you were driven here because you feel the chaos in your own life. Friend, I, I'm almost hesitant to say it. I, I'm glad you're going through some chaos. Now, I'm not glad about the pain or anything like that, but as we saw this morning, Jesus has put that chaos into your life because he's drawing you to himself. Would you call upon Jesus this morning and say, Lord, I... I can't handle this chaos any longer. I'm coming to you. And if you believe it with all your heart, call upon him and say, I believe that you are the great I am. 
I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you're the savior of the world. And I want to make you the king of my life. He may not change your circumstances, but one thing he will do is he'll bring peace to your heart that surpasses all understanding. Would you embrace King Jesus today, invite him into the boat, and say, would you bring comfort in my chaos? Friends, sometimes we need chaos so that we could see Jesus more clearly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I feel so somber when I read this text, but I probably shouldn't. It's difficult for so many of us. We're experiencing chaos in our lives, but I thank you that we don't have to just deal with the chaos. We don't just have to uh, uh, clamp down and just kind of uh, bear it and grin. We can look to Jesus, the I am, the powerful creator of the universe, the one who wants to show himself more clearly to us than ever in the midst of our chaos and speak peace and comfort to our lives to tell us not to be afraid. Father, I pray that you would find your people at Valley Bible Church on their knees this week saying, Lord, don't just heal me. Don't just provide for my needs. Don't just fix my broken relationships. But in the middle of my chaos, Lord, help me to see you more clearly. I'm here. I'm waiting. I want to hear your voice of comfort. Change our prayer lives, Father, that we would want to see Jesus more clearly. And oh, Father, I pray for that one here today. Maybe they showed up for church for the first time in a long time because they're feeling some chaos in their life. Oh, I pray, let them call upon the Savior. Let them call upon the I am and say, I put my trust in this one who can bring order out of my chaos. I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for what he's done for me in my own chaos. I look back and I I say, I, I never wish to go through that pain again, but I thank you that I've seen Jesus more clearly than I've ever seen him before. Open our eyes that we would see Jesus brighter and clearer and more glorious every single day, even in the midst of our chaos. We love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Go with us now as we are launched out to share the good news about Jesus and his power, and his grace in our lives. We ask this, ask this in his name, amen. Hey friends, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we invite you to continue this journey with us every single week, and in fact, every single day through our VBC Daily 3, and we hope to see you again next week as we worship King Jesus together and hopefully see a clearer picture of his power and his love. We'll see you next time.